Okay. As I mentioned earlier this morning, we are starting a brand new message series, a three-part series that we are calling Deconstructing Church. And for those of you who are new to Hope Community Church, this is what we do. We, we usually give these message series type things where we talk about a topic for a few weeks in a row. And so we're going to be talking about church. How weird is that? Here we are in church, talking about church, being at church discussing church, all right? So this is what we're doing. We're talking about church for the next few weeks, and that may seem like a weird thing to do, but there's an important reason um, why we need to dedicate some time to this important subject, kind of breaking down what the church isn't and what it is and what it's supposed to be and what it was always intended to be and what it's become, but trying to get back to the origins of what church was always supposed to be. A couple of months ago, I had the opportunity to sit down with... um, with a few guys who lead this uh, ministry organization, doesn't matter which one, but it's a uh, multi-statewide, it's not a nationwide, but it's up and down the East Coast, and I got to meet with the head honchos who run this thing, and um, they were talking a little bit about their passion for this ministry that they do, and, and that's awesome, I mean, I get excited about that, do you get excited about that? When somebody else is passionate about something, it kind of is contagious, and it's like, yeah, all right, it's kind of like this whole Eagles thing, I'm not a football fan, but I'm like, yeah, I'm a football fan all of a sudden, yeah, it's kind of contagious, and so... They're sharing their passion for their ministry and what they do. But then the leader of this organization, he started talking about the church a little bit. And over the course of a two-hour conversation, no less than three times, he used this phrase. Now, I'm not trying to say anything bad about the church, but... And then something said something bad about the church. And so, so I'm listening to him say these things, and he accused the church of being a few different things. And um, I don't know if you know this about me, but I am passionate about the church. I mean, the local church is what I believe, and I believe the church is the hope of this world. Um, without sounding too dramatic, I've dedicated my life to the church. I believe in this thing. And so whenever I hear someone speak ill of the church, I get a little bit, get my feathers ruffled a little bit. You also know if you've been with us for a while, I struggle with some anger stuff. And so I listen to this gentleman share some things about the church, and he accused the church of being programmatic. He said, well, the church isn't relational. The church is just trying to get people to come to their events on a Sunday morning, and church is this, and church is that, and I'm just listening to it, taking deep breaths, and then I politely raised my hand. May may I interject a few thoughts about the church? Sure. And I was given the floor, and so I was able to kind of course correct that a little bit, but this is the reason why we're doing a series on the church. Because you can be a Christian, a self-proclaimed Christian, a follower of Jesus, and not understand what church is, what church is supposed to be. You can be the leader of a multi-state ministry organization and have some confusion and a lack of understanding over what the church is supposed to be. In fact, right now, literally right now at this very minute, there are hundreds of people, just in Ridley Park, well, in Ridley Township, we'll say, hundreds of people gathering together in some kind of church service, worship service type things, and a lot of those people don't have a solid grasp on what church is. You can be a leader in the local church. You can sit on a board or a trustees or a church council or a board of directors or, you know, there's so many different church boards and committees and stuff like that. You can be a leader in the church and still be confused over what church is. And so if that's the case, here's what's scary about all this, right? If we, if we, the people who are the church, the people who are a part of this thing, if we don't understand what it is, what chance do people outside of the church have of understanding the church? And so I kind of feel like those of you who are part of this church or any church, maybe you're here and you see yourself as a member of Hope. Maybe you're not sure if you're a member of Hope Community Church, but you see yourself as a part of maybe like the capital C church, the bigger church, or maybe you're just visiting with us and you belong to a different church. Bottom line, if you see yourself as a part of a church, 
I think all of us who see ourselves in that way, we have this responsibility to know what this thing is, don't you think? We need to be able to articulate to other people, well, this is what it is, because there are so many, my goodness, so many misconceptions out there about what church is, and so we need to break those misconceptions down, and we do have this responsibility. We need to understand what this thing is that we are a part of. It just makes sense, right? It would be irresponsible not to understand this. So that's why we're doing this series, and so... Week one here, we're talking about what the church isn't, what it isn't, okay? And so I had a long list of things that the church isn't, and I tried to boil it down to things that were relevant to us. So let's get started here. What isn't the church, all right? <clears throat> the church isn't a building. The church isn't a building. And that's one of the advantages that we have here at Hope Community Church is that we don't even have a building. So that's pretty obvious for moment number one when you connect with our church. It's like, where are you? Well, we're everywhere. We run a space here, and we have Bible studies here, and we have Bible studies there. We don't have a building. And so not having a building comes with advantages and some disadvantages, sure. But we do have this one advantage. It's like when people come and connect with Hope Community Church, you're not really connecting with a building. A building, a facility is not part of our identity. And guess what? It never will be. There may be a day in the future where we own a space, and that's fine, and if God gives that to us, that's awesome, and that would open up some more opportunities to serve our community. Fantastic. I'm all for that, but we're not defined by a building, and we we never will be. Our first summer together as a church, we had a family visit with us just once. This was back before we were renting space here at this theater. We were renting space in a hotel ballroom, which was very weird. I mean, this is kind of a weird setting, but imagine just we're all kind of like just sitting there. It's like, okay, is this going to work? Is this, yeah, all right. Anyway, it all worked out, but um, it was our first summer, and a family came in, and the, and the dad was there, and he was talking to the dad a little bit, and um, you know, we didn't have anything. We started at zero at Hope Community Church, so we didn't have our music figured out. We didn't have a lot of stuff figured out, and this guy I was speaking with played the guitar, and he used to play at his other church, and he said, well, you know, I, I, I could play, and maybe I could help with music, and he said, you know, maybe once you all get your building, give me a call, and I can, I can help with the music stuff, and I said, oh, okay, and it was one of those conversations that like a minute later, I'm like, wait, what just happened? What did he just say? And I had to kind of process this whole thing. But there's a very real mentality that so many people have. And again, Christians can have this attitude. Pastors can have this attitude. This attitude of like something about a building helps to establish the church, right? Like once you get your building, then you're real. Then you're really a church. It helps you feel established. And like I said, it's not just people outside of the church. It's people within the church. It's Christians who can kind of suffer with that misunderstanding. Then you become established. Let me tell you something, okay? I don't know what the future holds for us, but if we do get a building, we're not going to be any more established, okay? (laughs) We're not going to be any more or any less established because the church is not a building, and Hope Community Church is not a building, and the church, the way that Jesus used that word and the way that we see this thing growing in the New Testament has nothing to do with the facility, with the building. Now, just know this. The point of this series, I'm not trying to change the way that you use terminology, right? When you're driving around town, you're allowed to say, hey, look, there's a church, all right? I'm not going to try to police that. You you know, that's fine. But one of the things that I've caught myself saying since Hope started is, hey, look at that church building. I just add the word building to it, right? Look at that church building. Look at that church facility, right? Because you're not talking about the church because the church is supposed to be something else. It's not the building. So bottom line, I think I've made my point. We all agree with this. This is pretty obvious. The church is not... A building. Let me tell you what else the church isn't, since you were curious, right? You're about to ask me, what else is the church not? The church isn't an event. 
okay? The church isn't an event. Now, again, I'm not trying to change our terminology necessarily or how we use these words, but, but what do you say on Sunday morning? Ah, oh, it's time to go to church, right? Well, I got, what do you, Sunday morning, can you come? No, I got to go to church, right? It's time to go to church. We say that, and we all know what we mean by that. It means we're going to this thing, this Sunday morning event thing, right? So the church is not an event, but the church does host events, right? The church does have events, but the church is not an event. Again, this is one of these things that if we take a moment to think about it, it's pretty obvious, but we can, if we're not intentional, we can slip into a backwards way of thinking about church where all church becomes is an event, where your entire Christianity, your entire walk with the Lord is based on one hour a week, something you do on a Sunday morning, one event. And so it's important for us not to slip into that way of thinking about church, okay? Well, i got to go to the church, i got to go. Watch that, because the church is an event, is not an event. We have events, but it's not an event. Does that make sense? Sort of? Okay. What else isn't the church? I knew you were going to ask. I'll just answer that question. The church, it's not a club. Church is not a club. Okay, this one might be a little less obvious, all right? You know what a, cl- a club is? You know, did you ever belong to a club? I was trying to think, have I ever belonged to anything that had the word club in the title? The only thing I could think of was the 4-H club. Anybody do the 4-H club, right? It was like, okay, there we go. One person's willing to admit it. The 4-H club, where you like planted flowers or talked about horses or I don't even know what it was, right? It's just some weird thing I did in fifth grade, like twice a month. I don't know. Planted flowers and talked about horses. That's my experience with the 4-H club. Anyway, but it was a club. And the way that clubs work for the most part, whether it's a 4-H club or it's just like a, like a fantasy football league, that will count as a club or some kind of thing where you all get together and you have this thing in common. Clubs, for the most part, clubs exist for the sake of their members, right? For the sake of the people who are in the club. And you all get together and you're a part of a book club and you all have this thing in common because you like to read and you like to talk about books. And so you all get together and decide which book you're going to read. And you all say, well, this is a book we all like, so we're all going to read this book. And you gather together and you talk about the book. You all have that thing in common. Or you could be a part of, like, I've heard, like, you know, video game clubs and all kinds. Of, like, there's clubs for every kind of thing you could think of, right? All these different hobbies, these different clubs. But they all exist for the sake of their members. Not so with the church. Not so with the church. The church does not exist for the sake of our members, for the people who make up the church. Now, I don't want to give too much away. Because if you've looked at your bulletin, next Sunday is where we talk about what the church is. But I'll give you a little taste, a little teaser, all right, a little preview of what the church is, all right? When I was at, um, in seminary, one of our professors said that the church is not a club, but if it were a club, if it were a club, it would be the only club that exists for the sake of its non-members, Okay? The church is not a club. Why is this important? Because so many churches, local churches that start up, or maybe they've been around for 10 years or 50 years or 100 years, so many churches slip quite innocently into this club mentality where the church begins to orient all the events, all the activities around the people who are already in the club, right? And they gather together and say, okay, what kind of things do we like? Well, we like this kind of Christian music, and we like this style of music, so let's do this kind of music, and we'll go to these kind of music events, and we'll play this kind of music. And what kind of teaching and preaching do we like? Well, okay, we'll go hire a preacher and a teacher to do that kind of teaching, and we'll just all agree on this. This is the stuff we like, so let's just do the stuff we like, right? 
He begins to orient all the life of the church and all the events of the church and all the, the programs of the church around the people who are already a part of the thing. No. That's a club mentality. Like I said, if the church were a club, which it's not, if the church were a club, it would be the only club that exists for the sake of its non-members. What we're supposed to do, what we see in the New Testament about the church is it doesn't exist just catering to the needs of the members, but catering to the needs of the people outside of the thing, outside of the church. And we, Hope Community Church, we need to be intentional about that, vigilant about that, disciplined about that to make sure we don't slip quite innocently into that club mentality. We need to cater to the people who are not part of the thing already, meet their needs. See, again, some of this stuff seems obvious, but, but I hope you agree. This is worth talking about. We need to understand this. We need to know this. More importantly, we need to live this out. Let's take a look at this passage of Scripture that David read for us. This might help clarify some things for us about what the church isn't. And this is very vague, this, this passage that, that David read. It's from Matthew um, 16. I mean, it's vague in what Jesus says about the church. It's still a mysterious kind of thing. But I want to give you some context to this reading because, again, I think we learned something important about what the church isn't in this passage. We learn a little bit about what it is and a little bit about what it isn't in this passage. And so let me give you some context of what's going on here. So Jesus has spent this time with his disciples. He's been with them for years now. They've witnessed him do miracles. They've heard him teach. They've seen him in action. They have been traveling with him. They didn't take time off. They were together 24-7 all the time. They were together. They spent all this time with Jesus, and he gets to a point in his ministry where he asks them a question. So I'm going to back up. I'm in chapter 16 of Matthew, beginning with... Um, in verse 13, he, he asks a more general question. There in your, in your bulletin, it starts with 15, but in 13 is the original question. He says, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, that term, Son of Man, that's a term Jesus uses to describe himself. So basically, he's saying to the group, who do other people say that I am? All right? I've been around for a while now, and I've been doing these ministry, ministry and performing these miracles and giving this teaching. What's my reputation out there in the community? Who do people think that I am? And so the disciples had to kind of come up with some answers for him. And verse 14, they replied, well, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And that seems very strange to us because John the Baptist and Jesus were contemporaries. I mean, they were two entirely different people. And so they're like, well, how could you get these two people confused? But you didn't have newspapers, you didn't have the internet. And so some people heard Jesus like, is this a John the Baptist guy? No, this is Jesus, totally other dude. Are you sure? I don't know. And so there was some confusion. Who is Jesus? And so the disciples answer honestly, well, some people think you're John the Baptist. He said, well, that's wrong. Some people think that you're one of the, the prophets from like back in the day, like maybe Elijah or maybe you're Jeremiah or one of those guys. Come back. He's like, okay. So prophet, that's what other people say. And then he gets more specific. It's verse 15. Now, what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Yeah, can you put yourself in that, that moment? <laughs> How would you respond? It's like, ah, uh, you know. And up to this point, these guys that have been following Jesus, they probably had hopes that he was the Messiah that they had been waiting for. I mean, they had been waiting for some kind of Savior. They had read about a Savior. They knew that someone was coming to redeem them from something. I mean, their ideas about what the Savior would do were kind of twisted. Some kind of hero. They were expecting a hero. 
And so I think that these guys who were following Jesus, one of the reasons they were following this man in the first place is they believed that this could be him. This could be the Messiah. But do you say it out loud? Are you ready to say it out loud? I mean, you're hopeful, you're optimistic, but do you say it out loud? It's like we all want the Eagles to win next Sunday, but do we say it? You know, I don't know if I should say it. I'm hopeful. (laughs) Do they say it out loud? And I don't know if there was a long, awkward pause. I imagine there might be, you know, all these awkward moments in the ministry of Jesus. All right, what about you guys? Who do you think I am? Are you going to say And so Simon, Simon speaks up. Simon had been following Jesus, was one of the first followers, had been following from day number one. He had been a fisherman, had this really incredible, Simon was experiences with Jesus, really incredible experiences all along the way. Simon speaks up. And he says, you are, you want an answer to the question? Here it is. You are the Messiah. But he doesn't just say that. <laughs> I mean, that would have been big enough for him to say, you are the Messiah that we've been waiting for. And we've been dealing with this persecution for years. And we haven't had a king of our own in years. And we've needed some kind of hero, some kind of a redeemer. And we've read about in the prophets. And we believe, or at least I believe, that you're it. You're the Savior. You're the Messiah. That in and of itself would have been huge. But he, he makes it even bigger. This declaration is even bigger. It says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. See, that's, that's, that's something special. Because as I said, they were thinking, I mean, in, the, in those days, people, there were some people talking about a Messiah, some people talking about a Redeemer. When is this going to happen? Is this going to happen? God told us somebody's going to come save us from something. There was talk like that. But back in those days, nobody, virtually nobody, was connecting the idea that this Messiah would be the Son of the living God. They did not know. They were not expecting that it would be God in the flesh, that the Messiah wouldn't just be like a prophet like Elijah or a Jeremiah or even a John the Baptist, but this would be God's Son. That was a new concept. That was a new thing. They weren't expecting it. And so somehow, Simon makes this declaration And look what Jesus says. Verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. And so what Jesus is saying there is, listen, you you know this, and it's not because some other human being explained this to you. It's not because there's some gossip out there about me being the son of God. No, no, no. That's not how you figured this out. It says, but my Father in heaven. So Father God revealed this to this man. So this is like, you know, we, we, we talk about the Trinity sometimes. You get the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It's a mysterious thing, but it's God in three persons, and yet He's one God. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. It's God. He can do anything, right? So you've got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this man, this regular dude, <laughs> this fisherman, is receiving this revelation from God. And God is speaking to Simon and speaking through Simon. It's like the Holy Spirit is speaking through him. God the Father is revealing something to him. And he's saying these words to the incarnate Son of God before him. Now, what does God reveal to Simon? Yeah, this is the Messiah, but not just that. This is my son. And he speaks these words. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Was he shocked by the words that came out of his mouth? Was he having a weird, like, what did I just say kind of moment? And Jesus says, bingo. Well, not literally. That would be weird if he said, bingo. That's not my... He says, you are, you got it. 
you got it. And there's no way that you would have understood that except by my father's revelation. He revealed this to you. And that's when, I mean, he's called Simon Peter throughout the, the Gospels here. But that, this is the moment where he got a new name. What does it say? Reading on here. Verse 18. And so he's, he's, just, he's had this experience where God revealed something to him. The Spirit spoke through him. And he says, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus gives him a new name. Verse 18. I tell you that you are Peter. Oh, I got a new name. How about that? Wouldn't that be something? If Jesus is like, you know, psst, you know that name your parents gave you? Forget about that. I'm giving you a new name. God bless you. And that's exactly what Jesus does. I tell you that you are Peter, which means rock, right? The rock, like, you know, can you smell what the rock is cooking kind of thing? Or like Rocky, you know. You are the rock man. Literally, literal translation of what that means. I tell you that you are the rock man, and on this rock... I will build my church. Now, I don't know how many of you in here speak um, biblical Greek. Anybody here? Yeah, me neither. But I know a thing or two about it, and there's some helpful things to understand here in this passage, okay? And so when Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church, he's not saying, on you, rock man, I will build my church. What Jesus is saying is, on this revelation, I will build my church. On this thing that's been revealed to you, you understand that I'm more than a prophet. You understand that I'm more than a Messiah. You understand that I'm the Son of God. And on that understanding, on that revelation, I will build my church. So, what isn't the church? Well, it isn't yours. And it isn't mine. And it isn't ours. Who does this belong to? It's Jesus. This belongs to Jesus. He straight up says it. I will build my church. It belongs to Jesus. It's his. You know, in the early days of hope, and still to this day, I take this extremely literally when Jesus says he will build his church. I believe that, like both with a capital C church and every lowercase c local church. I believe that he builds the church. And in those early days where we didn't have anybody to, to lead the ministries, I just said, well, Jesus, you need to build your church. It's yours. Build it. It belongs to you. So the church is not yours. And it isn't mine, and it isn't ours. It belongs to Jesus. However, and this is a very big however, whatever this church thing is, it has been entrusted into our hands. And so here's the weird thing about church is that we don't own this thing. We don't own the church. But Jesus encourages us and commands us even to take an attitude of ownership over the church. Let me explain what I mean by that because it's a little bit complicated. Okay, you know what it's like to have a job where you're just kind of working for the paycheck and it's like an hourly thing and you clock in and you clock out, maybe something you did in high school or in college, and it's like you don't care about the success of the company. Who cares, right? You're just trying to get paid. You don't care if they do well. Or you don't care about their stock reports. You don't care about any of that. You're just like I'm clocking in, I'm clocking out, I'm keeping my head down, doing what I got to do to get that paycheck. Have you had jobs like that? Am I the only one who's had jobs like that, right? Where you're not, listen, where you're not personally invested in the success of the overall thing, when you're not personally invested in the company. Now, contrast that with the attitude of an owner. If you own the thing, you better believe you're personally invested in the success of the thing, whether it's an organization or a business or whatever. You have a whole different attitude. You can't be like, well, if it works, it works. Oh, whatever. No, you need to be personally invested. That's the attitude 
of an owner. In fact, there are plenty of companies, and I know like insurance companies do this, and there are other like big, big nationwide companies that have these, what I would call pep rallies, right? Where they take their employees and they put them all on an island or some tropical place, and they have these guest speakers come up, and it's all about getting pumped up, get pumped up and excited about your company because the owners of the company, they want their employees to have the attitude of an owner, to be personally invested in the success of the thing. Wouldn't you want that? Don't you want your employees to feel like, yeah, I want this thing to work. I'm just as invested as the owner is. And so they have these big type of pep rallies. I don't know what they're actually called. Corporate events. I don't know. Pep rallies. Just to get their employees, just to get the hired hands, give them a sense of ownership. I think Jesus, I believe that Jesus wants the same thing for us. This church, this thing belongs to Jesus, but he has entrusted it to us. And he wants us to take this attitude of ownership over this thing he calls the church. There's another passage, and, and you know, I th- well, I'll take a minute just to read it for you here. There's a parable that Jesus gives, and it's in Matthew um, 25, beginning with verse 14. But he tells this story, and Jesus often told these stories, these parables, to illustrate a point. You know, I'm going to take just a minute to read this whole thing for you, okay? So this is the parable of the gold bags, sometimes it's called that, or the parable of the talents. Let me read this, okay? And this is a parable, it's a story Jesus is telling, trying to illustrate a point. He says, again, it will be like a man going on a, chur- a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his own ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags gained two more, but the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought out the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. Isn't that an awesome spot to be in? Can you think of that? Like as an employee or being able to go to your boss, go to the master and say, hey, you entrusted something to me. I done good, don't you think? Right? I gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Ah, that's important. You know, this whole thing of the church that Jesus has entrusted to us, he wants us to take an attitude of ownership over something that isn't ours, over something that's his, and he wants us to share in his happiness when this thing succeeds in doing what it was supposed to do. Verse 22, the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold, so you have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Again, come and share your master's happiness. Come and share the joy of this success. Verse 24, then the man who had received one bag of gold. I mean, this guy just has the attitude of a hired hand, of a hireling. I'm going to punch in. I'm going to punch out. I'm not personally invested in the success of this thing. The man who had received the one bag of gold came master. He said, I knew that you are a hard man harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid. Now, that's something we could talk about in detail here, motivated by fear. Fear is not a good motivator. It's not. I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. So here's what belongs to you. Huh. Should I read on here? I think, I mean, do you want to know what happens to this guy? I don't know. It's pretty rough. You ready for it? Because it's rough. His master replied, you wicked, 
lazy servant. So you knew that a harvest where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. I mean, that's the least you could have done. Take the bag of gold from him. Give it to the one who has 10 bags. And that's the idea here, that God has entrusted things to us. To each one of us as individuals, Jesus has blessed you with certain things. He has entrusted certain things. You're a steward over something that Jesus has given you. You're a steward over the wealth and over the gifts and all these things. But another thing that Jesus has entrusted to all of us is his church. He's given it to us. And he wants us to run with it. Succeed, go, be personally invested in the health, life, and growth of this thing called church. There's no such thing as sitting on the sideline. There's no such thing as kind of waiting for us. No, he's entrusted it to us, not just to the pastors or the staff or the ministry, to all of us, to the people who make up the church. He has entrusted this thing to us. Now, if you had to put yourself in this little parable, right, who would you want to be? Guy with the five bags, guy with the two bags, guy with the one bag. I mean, what do you want Jesus to say to you? You wicked and lazy servant. No, I don't want to hear that, right? Here's the truth. All of us, okay? Whether we're comfortable with it or not, one day we're going to be face to face with the Son of the living God. And he's going to say, hey, listen, I gave you certain things. I entrusted you with certain things. I entrusted you with the church. How'd you do? Well, you know, I, you know, kind of, I, I showed up and it was a part of my life for once an hour, once a week, and, you know, I didn't really do anything with it, but I didn't do anything bad either, you know what I mean? I wasn't attacking it, I wasn't putting it down, so that's good, right? Oh, I don't know, I mean, it's harsh words, the master says to this wicked, lazy servant. I don't want to hear that. Do you? No, of course not. Whatever God has entrusted to us, whatever Jesus has given us, we want to be able to give an account, a report back to him and say, hey, hey, boss, hey, master, look what I did with what you gave me. We want that attaboy from Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, this church thing, again, next week we'll talk about what it is. But the success of the church I mean, we have, each one of us have an active role to play. And let's get specific about this church, about Hope Community Church. Let's get specific about our community right here, Southern Delaware County, Ridley and Interboro. That's the bullseye on our little geography map here. Let's get specific. This geography needs us to step up and take some ownership of this thing called church. We've been entrusted with this. And maybe that feels like a burden, but it's also this wonderful privilege, this wonderful opportunity. And eventually, we will have the chance to share in our master's happiness, all right? Now, you guys like, do you guys like fun? Do you guys like fun? Like parties, right? Fellowship. We all have a good time when we go to the Feldman's house and we play games and we have good food and that's great. You, you ain't never seen a heaven party, right? <laughs> the kind of celebration that goes on in heaven over the success and growth of the church. My goodness, I want to be a part of that. Don't you? And so here's what we need to do as we move forward in time as a church is we need to be vigilant. Let's not slip into a wrong way of thinking about church. Let's not slip into a club mentality about church. Let's continue to do what we've been doing. Let's continue to exist for the sake of the people in this community 
not for our own sake. And let's pray on that. Lord Jesus Christ, we acknowledge that you, you really are our master. You're the boss. And we know that you have given to each one of us many things. You have put people in our lives. You've blessed us with relationships. You've, you've blessed us with, with gifts and talents and skills. And, and Father God, we want to be good stewards over all that you have given us. And Lord Jesus, we believe that you have given us this most precious gift, your preci- precious church you have given to us. You've entrusted into our hands. And we want to take this and we want to run with it. We want, to fa- we want to be found to be good and faithful servants over this thing that belongs to you. Lord Jesus Christ, Hope Community Church is yours. Continue to have your way here. Continue to allow your will to be done here. And Father God, I ask that you would speak to each one of us. Give us that sense of personal investment, of ownership over this thing that belongs to you, Jesus. Lord Jesus Christ, we pray for all the people who are not in this room today. We pray for our neighbors. We pray for our coworkers. We pray for this community. We pray for Southern Delaware County, that your gospel would be revealed to this community and that we would play an active part in that work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.